Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brennan Bolin. I'm joined alongside my partner, Ed Hunt. How you doing today, brother? Pretty good, man. Excited to talk some football with you. Hey, me too, my man. I wish I could say I was doing just as well, but... You know, we know the Cleveland Browns are sitting at the bottom of the AFC North, and my prediction was pretty far off. So um, it's it's kind of hard to be in a great mood after this. But hey, like I've said for the last twenty years of my life, there's always next year, Ed. So <laughs> that's what we that's what we like about those Cleveland Brown fans is that they just keep coming back, keep coming back, you know. And eventually, I mean, eventually it's gonna stick, you know. I mean, I mean, this is gonna be a t- competitive division, but. Uh, you know, they can still build around this offense, so. Right, and you know, it's it's going to feel that much better once we actually pull it off after after so many years of heartaches, but hey, it's part of it's part of the Cleveland Browns nature, and you know, we're used to it at this point, got to keep on powering through. As long as your boys don't land Aaron Rodgers this offseason, that, I think that's, I'll be that's all what right. I, that's what I want to happen. Vaccinated Aaron I, Rodgers. <laughs> I, I, I want Mike Tomlin to actually... Put the put put it in for him. I want him to actually <laughs> administer the shot for him. Like you want to take this first snap, buddy. Let's let's go to locker room real yeah. quick. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just give him all three coronavirus shots right there. <laughs> Man, Ed, what a crazy, what a crazy week. I mean, the NFL season is ending a hundred million different ways than anybody expected. I don't think anybody expected to see the Eagles in the playoffs. Not many people expected the the Bengals to hold on strong and. You know, find a way to win on that AFC North, but man, it it's just this has been one of the most exciting yet heartbreaking seasons of my life, Ed. And um, not only in in NFL but college football, we had a little bit of a heartbreak, and um, that came in those playoff games. You know, Cincinnati. Unfortunately, we know how hard we were pulling for them. Uh, they weren't able to pull it off against Nick Saban's Alabama, which oh, big surprise there. And then Georgia was able to completely embarrass Michigan. And, you know, honestly, I, I know that a lot of people chose Georgia to win that game, but I don't think anybody expected it to be in the just pure demolition fashion that it was. And, I mean, it, I, I, that was a huge, huge statement game from Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. And um, before we get into this Georgia-Michigan matchup, Ed, I have to give Stetson Bennett his credit. I mean... He faced so much backlash for that Alabama game in the SEC championship, and you know, rightfully so. He didn't have a great game, didn't take great care of the football, but you know, he came out in a playoff game against Michigan, against the vaunted Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, that's a legitimate defense, and he went out and he balled. Ed Stetson Bennett was the man. Three touchdowns, over 300 yards, and went 21 for 31. I mean. You're going to win football games if your starting quarterback is doing that. So I, I have to give Stetson Bennett his credit for that game. But, Ed, how, how else was Georgia able to just completely demolish Michigan? Well, I, I think I think that it's, it's mostly a team that can play great defense. And, I mean, Georgia's defense is, is second to none. And I think, you know, once you, once you get them behind the eight ball, I mean, Georgia was running the ball. Um, and you know they 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 got the lead, and then it was almost like at the end, you know they had to bring in Kevin McCarthy because Caden McNamara isn't gonna make a isn't gonna make a comeback, you know, because he's a running quarterback. He's a running quarterback, and uh, you know you can't run the ball to you can't run the ball to 
make make a comeback, or it's very hard to do. And so they had to bring in Ke- Kevin McCarthy. So they got behind the eight ball. They and then and then basically then they had to they had to you know cut, play catch up. And the Michigan Wolverines are not built to play catch up. No, absolutely. I mean, that's a team that loves, like you said, they love to run the football and they have a running quarterback. Against a team like Georgia, you are not going to make that comeback running the football. It's just not going to happen. And if if you, your quarterback's throwing two interceptions to the same player, I promise you, you're not going to stand a chance to win that football game when Stetson Bennett is taking perfect care of the football. I think every part of Michigan's football team was a little underwhelming that day. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson didn't get a sack. He, I think he had, what, three tackles maybe that game? I mean, that's, that's potentially the number one overall pick, so you just have to give... I mean, I want to give everybody in Georgia's trenches all of the credit. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to say that it was like a domination of uh, Georgia's, Georgia at the line of scrimmage, but I think, I think Georgia do, did you know, kind of control it kind of in all phases of the game, really. I mean, they, you know, you take you take two defense and running teams, and you match them up against each other. The one that's going to be a better defense and running team is going to win, which is the Georgia Bulldogs. And a big reason why is someone we're going to talk about later. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you got You also have to give Darren Kendrick a, a shout out that game. Two interceptions in a playoff game. Um, I mean, like like I just mentioned, if you have a guy that's going to get you two takeaways and your quarterback is taking care of the football, and you can effectively run the ball, that is a perfect recipe for success. It's just taking care of the football. It's old-fashioned football. Run the ball, defensive football, and that's what that game was. But like you said, one team's just a whole heck of a lot better at it than the other. And um, it, it's, it's a big reason for that is because of the big man in the middle, Ed. Yeah, I mean, I would say I would say Jordan Davis. I mean, he plugs the middle. Um, you know, they've got linebackers. They've got um, you know a really solid front seven. They've got corners. I mean, this is this is an elite defense. But one thing one thing that I do notice about this uh, this team is McNamara threw two interceptions. Um, so when Cade McNamara turns the ball over. And you turn the ball over against a good running and defensive team, it makes it very hard to win games. So the two interceptions by Cade McNamara, I think that was a, I think that was one of the kind of dominoes that fell for the Michigan Wolverines. Right, and absolutely, and they just they don't have the ability to push the football downfield. They just don't. I mean, McCarthy came in, completed seven passes, and still threw for thirty yards more than Cade McNamara did. And he completed 11 passes. So you just have absolutely zero downfield offense. And throughout the entire year, you found success through the, through the exact same equation. And that was being able to rely on guys like Haskins and just run the rock. And then Aiden Hutchinson and that defensive line comes up big for you. But once you're going up against a top-tier trench team like Georgia, it's just going to be really hard. And like you said, you just you're not playing catch up once you've thrown one. You're you're literally down two possessions at that point, and if you cannot score at least a field goal every single drive, if you give the other team two free possessions, it's easy math, Ed. You're gonna lose the football game. It's it's that simple. You know, I really really was surprised 
that Michigan didn't try to enforce the run a little bit more. I mean, I Haskins didn't have a great game, a great day on the ground. I mean, it was what nine, ten carries and forty, uh, like forty yards, averaged a little bit over four yards a carry. But I mean, did you really think you were gonna? Like, I I get it. There's not much you can do against Georgia, but I would have liked to see a little bit more of a like more balanced game plan, or at least kind of try to rely on your run. Like, stick to your identity because. Cade McNamara has not been the reason why Michigan has been successful this year. I don't see why you think that would be the same Kate, why that would change against arguably the greatest defense in the last decade, Ed. So I really, I really didn't like Harbaugh's game plan coming into this game, but you almost, I, I get it. You almost have to just kind of switch it up against Georgia because they're, <laughs> they're going to beat you any which way. And their run defense is just that dominant that maybe they were like, Hey Haskins, we're just simply not going to be able to get it going, so we're just not going to necessarily even try. And if you're going up against a team that just simply roster-wise is as talented as Georgia in the front seven, I, I could see that being enough to completely change your game plan alone. But at the end of the day, I think that hurt Michigan. But Ed, why don't we hop over to the bigger game, or maybe even I, I would say the more heartbreaking game? Um, Nick Saban, once again, proves why he is the greatest coach in the history of college football. And I don't want to say it proved that Cincinnati wasn't... Because Michigan just got handled by Georgia. Michigan's still a Big Ten team. So I'm not in a million years going to say Cincinnati did not deserve that playoff spot. They did, Ed. 110%. That was more so just Nick Saban showing, hey, uh, I'm the man here. Not not you guys. It's it's me. Don't Don't forget it. Ed... How did Bama just have such easy control of this game? Because we know Cincinnati's defense, they like their takeaways. That's They may not be a Power 5 team, but that is a scary and a hungry defense. But it didn't look like it against Bama. Well, I mean, it was interesting. The first drive, they only threw the ball once, and that was in the end zone at the end for a touchdown pass. But really, they ran the ball the whole game. And it was funny. I mean, you could see you could see the Alabama receivers. I don't know which Alabama receiver was doing it, but I mean, it was like they were running the ball and running the ball and running the ball. And Brian Robinson Jr. was successful. And I mean, one Alabama receiver just goes, "This is this is what we do. This is what we do." And it's almost like it's funny. You know what I mean? Because it's like you've seen Alabama just go out there and spank teams. You know, with with passing, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, you know, back and forth, you know, these big passing games. I mean, after all, Bryce Bryce Young did win the Heisman, you know, through the air. So now they said, hey, we can run the ball against these guys. Let's make it easy. Let's not make it complex. Let's not make it difficult. They just said, hey, we're the better team. We can win in the trenches. And that's it. That, that Alabama team absolutely won that game in the trenches absolutely dominated i mean and and the fact of the matter is is that if you can't stop the run you can't win a football game cincinnati couldn't stop the run couldn't win that football game no absolutely ed i mean brian robinson averaged was eight yards a carry i mean you're, you're gonna win your football game if you're starting running backs averaging eight yards a carry and you're telling me you only needed 180 passing yards from your Heisman quarterback to win in a playoff game? That is dominance in the trenches right there. Like, I, I don't think there's another stat that could prove that harder. And Desmond Ritter was running for his life. And I, I don't even really want to say Desmond Ritter necessarily had a bad game. The dude just didn't have an opportunity to have a good one. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get it. You're going up against Nick Saban's Alabama, but... I mean, the the offensive line did 
absolutely nothing to help Desmond Ritter. I mean, coming out of that second half, I really, really thought since he was going to find a way to kind of pick it up because they found a rhythm. Desmond Ritter was finding quick completion, like 10-yard completions right at the first down marker, but they just seemed to always have that one play that would knock him off. One thing, one thing that I noticed about Alabama was that they were just a much more physical team in this game, right? Like they were just they were just out physical the other team, right? I think that was, I think that was a big difference in this game. No, absolutely. I mean, it it makes sense though. You know, you're getting the best of the best at Bama, and like I've said a few times, I really think Nick Saban's hiding a, a football creating machine somewhere in that Bama stadium. I don't know where it is, but I know he's got a lab somewhere in there. He's cooking out these five-star recruits, but I mean, absolutely, Ed. They simply just couldn't, they physically couldn't handle Alabama. They really couldn't. And, like, I I honestly don't think Cincinnati, game plan-wise, could have really done anything differently to give themselves a different outcome of this game. I think they could have made it uglier for themselves, <laughs> but I really don't know how much they, like, how they could have really made it better, because... Alabama is just simply the better football team. And I really think, with the exception of maybe, I, I really have faith in Cincinnati's secondary. I really do. But other than that, I don't think there's an asset of that football team that is superior. I mean, this was one of the narratives coming into the game. And this ended up being something that I saw in this game is that you've got really two and three star recruits playing against four and five star recruits. You know what I mean? Plain and simple, right? Like you just have, right. you just have higher pedigree guys going against lower pedigree guys. And, 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 and I mean, that showed up at the line of scrimmage. That showed up in pretty much every phase of the game. And that's why uh, Nick Saban could play it very conservative. I mean, the, the storyline of that game is pretty much, hey, my guy's better than your guy, and I'm going to prove it to you on this run right here. Yeah, it, it, that was definitely... I mean, Brian Robinson is a good running back, but I mean, he's waited. I mean, he's waited behind a lot of guys, Najee Harris and so forth. So, um, you know, he's not he's not their superstar. He hasn't been their um, guy, but he ran for 204 yards that game. Right. I mean, once you, once you're averaging eight yards a carry, you don't have to run it too many times to get there. And and they just got bullied, Ed. The Bearcats got bullied, to put it lightly, um, defensively especially. You got sacked six times. Eight tackles for a loss, and a very, very, very ugly two for twelve on third down. It was just you. You could, you could just see from the start of the game that the Bearcats were going to have to pull off a miracle, like nothing short of a miracle, if they wanted to even have a chance in this one. It was. I mean, it's almost like watching your your JV, your freshman team go up and, and scrimmage against the varsity team in high school. You know, and that's this is not me discrediting you know, Cincinnati in any way, shape, or form. That's just that's just how superior of a football program Bama is to most programs. I mean, not not just there's a reason the Bearcats are in the playoffs, Ed. I I really think that Alabama in that game would have manhandled anybody like they manhandled Cincy. What what is Nick Saban's game plan? I mean, he is sticking to running the rock. This is kind of different than what we've seen throughout the past. I mean he has always had guys like Jerry Judy and just the most absolute top tier receivers, right? You, you, you're used to seeing 350 yard passing games from Bama and just absolutely airing it out with these speed burners with your insanely talented wide receivers. But, you know, last week he's like, hey, we're, this is old school Bama football. Defense, run the rock. 
do you, I mean, it worked dang well for Cincinnati, and I think that was the perfect game plan, because like I said, that Cincinnati secondary loves to take the ball away. They love it. Nick Saban knew that, so he goes into this game with the perfect game plan saying, hey, we're going to run it down their throat. Do you do you expect this, this run-first mentality to continue against Georgia? Because it didn't seem like it was that way the first time, but I don't know if I could expect him to go against this Georgia team with the exact same game plan, especially with Georgia's run defense being so scary. I mean, what is Nick Saban's running attack going to be coming up, and how, how was it beneficial to him? So I think the great equalizer in this game is that John Mechie and Jamison Williams may not play. Either of them may not play. John Mechie definitely won't play. So basically their receiver core is depleted, right? Their two stars are depleted. And let's I'm not going to just say like Alabama is out of this game. Because Alabama's not out of this game in the passing game. They're still going to throw the ball. And I think they should throw the ball. Um but they're going to have to rely more on running the ball against Georgia. I mean, the, the the Georgia game is going to be a defense and running the ball type of game. But the thing is, is if I'm Alabama, and even though I've got injuries at wide receiver, and I think that's the reason why they're not favored in this game, I don't want to play Georgia at their game, right? I don't. I don't want to. I don't. I don't. I don't want to try to out. Uh, you know, out muscle Jordan Davis, right? Like I'm not. I'm not trying to beat them at that game to be honest with you though so like if i'm if i'm nick saban i want to get creative um and i want to try to i want to tap into these young wide receivers for the for alabama because they've had i mean they've had receiver after receiver after receiver so you know you may you may be running you know a guy who's a true freshman or a guy who's you know, not as experienced, but I still, I still try to get them into the passing game. I still try to be kind of more of a passing kind of shock them uh, type of team and more of a balanced attack. And I think, I think if Alabama can execute a balanced attack with Bryce Young, with Young receiving core, I think they win this game. I 100% agree with you, Ed. It's, it's, it's simply because until Nick Saban gives me a reason to doubt him, even with the backs against the wall, even with Jamison Williams potentially out, Mechie for sure out, I still just can't bet against him because every time I do it, Ed, he makes me look like a damn idiot. I can't bet against him. He just finds a way to figure it out. And prime example last week, perfect game plan for Cincinnati. Absolutely spot on perfect game plan. Go back to Georgia. Embarrass them in that game. Perfect game plan. I get that was a little bit of a healthier Bama team, but guess what? I still think he just wins by game plan, and I agree with you. I don't think they're going to try to beat Georgia in their own game by you know strong defense, winning in the trenches, running the ball. That's Georgia's game, and I think they're going to be very successful in that you know in that area. But I think when it comes down to Alabama's defensive line versus Georgia's offensive line, I just I have a feeling that Alabama's going to win again. And I, I really think it, I, it was different against Michigan. Um, I think Georgia went into that game with a we're going to beat the crap out of the mentality, and they were confident as all get out. I'm not saying these guys aren't confident in themselves. I mean, they're playing for the second-best program in college football. These guys believe in themselves. But once you're going in and playing Alabama, it's just a different mentality, Ed. And you almost, like, I feel like a lot of these guys almost convince themselves that, Dude, we're we're the underdogs. It doesn't matter. We're playing Nick Saban and Bama. We're the underdogs. We have to find a way to overcome the odds, and that's got to just put so much mental pressure on Georgia. And I like, I almost wonder how much of that 
is almost defeating them already. Just the pure level of respect that Alabama and Nick Saban gets is is such a dangerous tool already. So I truly, I truly believe Alabama, it's going to look like a close game at first, kind of like last time, even though it was, it was like a 10-point game. Georgia even looked like they might have it. But, you know, coming out of halftime and we start to roll into that fourth quarter, I promise you Alabama's going to be rolling and they're going to pull away in that game, Ed. Yeah, I, I have a feeling Alabama's going to win that game too. Um, I, I think it's it's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, you know, it's going to be a defensive battle, right? Like, we're going to see two great defenses. We'll probably see the two, I mean, two of the top five defenses in college football going against each other. I'd say Alabama's in the top five, and I'd say Georgia's probably number one. In fact, Georgia is probably a historic defense. But, um, you know, if, I, if I'm going to give a f- final score prediction, I'm going to say, like, 24-21, Georgia wins at the end. Okay. All right. I like that. Um I'm going to go I'm going to go 31 25. 31 Bama. 25. 31 How do you get to 25? You, you miss a two-pointer? Uh, uh 31 24. Excuse me. Yeah, 31 24. But I just I I think it'll be a closer game than like than it actually is. I think the score will look close, but you'll just have that feeling that Bama has control. You know how those games go, Ed. Like it, it may be a one-score game, but just the entirety or at least half of the game, you feel that one team knows what they're doing. They are in control of the clock, in control of the game, and I think that it's gonna be Bama. I just, I, I see when you ask if you're gonna ask, uh, and I, I gave Stetson Bennett his credit. I think he had a great game against Michigan, and I think his his game this week against Bama will be much improved than it was in the first matchup. But I also you know, I still don't have full confidence in, in him to be the sole reason you're winning that football game. You're going to have to run the rock. That's what Georgia does. But you're going to really, really struggle figuring out your offensive identity against this Bama football team. But if Georgia can do it early, they'll have a chance. I, I don't want to just sit here and say, oh, Bama is going to run away with it. I think they will because every time I've, you know, bet against them, like I said, I've been proven wrong. You got to give Georgia their Georgia their credit. Still, you know, at the end of the day, Ed, it's as simple as they're going up against Nick Saban in Alabama in a national championship. And I don't think there's anything in the history of college football scarier than Nick Saban in a college championship. I mean, I, I don't think anything compares to that, Ed. I, I I mean, I would agree. I mean, Nick Saban's been there in big games. I mean, um, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like a next man up mentality for Alabama for sure. I mean, Georgia is going to be hungry in this game. I mean, this that, that's that's the other side of this is that Georgia Georgia is going to want to say, hey, you know, we've we've had our chances, we've been beat um, in these big games, and you know, we don't want Alabama to be our daddy, right? Like we, you know. Uh, like, like you know, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia was number one for a lot of the, a lot of the year. Um, Georgia's going to get up for this game, and Kirby Smart, you know, who coached with with Nick Saban under Nick Saban. I mean, I I think I I mean, there's there's every incentive in the world for Georgia to to win this game, to prepare, to take care of themselves. They're, you're going to see Georgia's best ball. Um, you know, and really, I think a big X factor in this game is Stetson Bennett, right? Like, can Stetson Bennett do it in a pressure situation, right? Can he, you know, let's say like last drive or last two minutes or, um, you know, just just even even just, you know, making a more balanced attack, you know, can Stetson Bennett do it against Alabama's defense? 
right? So I, I think the question that decides this game is, are we getting the poised Michigan Stetson Bennett or are we getting the SEC championship Stetson Bennett again? Um, I, I think if we get that Michigan Stetson Bennett that is cool, calm, is confident to make the throws, Georgia has a chance at it because this is absolutely going to be a different Georgia team than we saw in that SEC matchup. Um, they're they're not going to get bullied out there. They're not. It's just not going to happen. Alabama may gain, gain control, but they will not get bullied this football game, and I can promise you that. And you have to think, I mean, the big X factor in this game is Alabama's young receivers. And you know those young receivers for Alabama, if they went to any other school, you know, if they went to a non-SEC school or they went to, you know, a lower tier SEC school, they'd be starters, right? They'd be starters at their program. So, um, you know, they... <laughs> They got they they got him for the situation and um you know the 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 you know after Jerry Judy you know there's there's John Mechie and there's uh Jamison Williams but then after those guys there's there's younger guys too so right it, let's not forget their backups are four stars too yeah yeah their their backups are four stars too so um you know and that's gonna be a big X factor in this game is can Georgia shut these guys down absolutely Ed well folks. I'm excited for it. I know Ed's excited for it. Um, but th- this is going to be a showdown. This is going to be, I think, one of the better national championship games we've gotten in a little bit, Ed. But why don't we hop over into our first interview? We've got an awesome one this week. We've got Charles Heaton, a wide receiver at SMU. So I'm going to let Ed take over, and we'll be right back with you. I'd like to welcome Charles Heaton, the third, to the podcast. How are you doing, Charles? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. Tell me about your experience at Shippensburg. Um, so I started at Shippensburg in uh, 2016. Uh, I redshirted as a, a true freshman. And after that season of redshirting my first year, got stronger, faster, learned the playbook, was able to get comfortable in, the, uh, in a new university. Uh, once that happened, 2017, I ended up starting my freshman year. Uh, mm-hmm. Only had 11 catches that year. But um, play, I played every game, started every game for the most part. Uh, made some plays, uh, ended up finishing with 11 catches, three touchdowns. And then um, my next year, sophomore year, going into my sophomore year, was I would say my uh, best season, um, we ended up making it uh, – We went, I forgot our record that year, but we ended up beating some pretty good teams, ended up beating uh, Kidry Rock that year. We ended up beating IUP as well that year, which they both were ranked that time. Uh, that was my best season. Uh, ended up finishing with six touchdowns, uh, 36 catches, 40 yards. And then uh, going to my junior year, had another pretty solid season. We didn't do as well this season. We ended up uh, finishing with a losing record, but uh, another another solid season, I would say, for my career. I ended up finishing with uh, five touchdowns, a little bit less than 40 yards that year and around 30-some catches that year, so a little bit over 30. And then, um, obviously, once that happened, uh, COVID happened, and um, I grad- ended up graduating in December of 2020, which is uh, well, two years ago now because it's 2022. But um, ended up graduating. I dropped in a portal before I graduated. Though. I jumped in a portal around the uh, once our season got canceled. So a little bit before summer, in the spring, right before spring ball of 2020. So when COVID first started, uh, got in the portal. Was still enrolled in classes at um at Shippensburg, so I was still doing my classes, still working on my own. And um, I ended up deciding to choose um, SMU over uh, Rutgers. I was between those two. They both were, uh, preferred walk-ons, but uh, I decided that um, SMU was a better opportunity for me and just to get away from home and be in a new environment. So um, that's how everything happened for me with Shippensburg. That's how I 
started there and finished there. If uh, if it never was for COVID, I would have ended up finishing my career there. So what's that was the, my whole Schubertberg career. What's the transfer portal process like? I haven't really talked to a player about you know what what the process is like when you go through the transfer portal. Um, so the transfer portal, in my opinion, is very similar to the high school recruiting process. That's what when I was in the portal, it was seemed very similar to that. It's a little different. But um, so to break it down, uh, once you decide, obviously, most people, they talk to their parents, talk to their families, talk to coaches, um, different people that they look up to and uh, that mentor them. And then once you finally come down to the decision, obviously, first thing you have to do is um, talk to your coach, let them know you're going to enter the portal. Once you do that, then uh, usually the next thing you do is you go to the athletic director because that runs that stuff, the eligibility center. They, they uh, put you into the portal. And once you get your email notification, as you see most players, they go on Twitter, they post it, show the, 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 like the automatic message that shows they're in the portal. Um, and then once you go from there, schools just start reaching, reaching out to you. Um, I know for me, the day I entered the portal, um, a lot of coaches follow you. Some coaches reach out to you. Um, some coaches reach out to you later down the road. You get a lot of follows from coaches. A lot of coaches reach out, see how much eligibility you have left. And then um, that's basically the portal. Um, as you see now, I got a lot of people. The portal like filled over the last – ever since COVID started, the portal has been filled with players. So I know a lot of people say, like, it's hard. Like, it's tough going to the portal because some players don't make it out of the portal and some players don't find schools. And um, I was fortunate enough to find a, a new home for my last year of uh, eligibility. So that was that was my whole experience with the portal. So – so you're a kick returner as well as a receiver. Um, do you wear any other hats on special teams? Um, so while I was at Shippensburg, I did kick up return. Um, I never ended up doing punt return. Um, that's something I actually have practiced over the last few years at um, at uh, Shippensburg my last year. Going into uh, my senior year before COVID happened, I was actually on the depth chart for punt return. And then as well at Shippensburg, me at SNU, Towards uh, later in the season, I did start practicing uh, returns well. But then, obviously, uh, everything with the bowl game and stuff happened. We didn't end up having a bowl game. So, I didn't get to actually, like, showcase anything. Pump return. But that was an option at one point at both schools. And, um, actually, I'm also – I've been – I started getting some practice at um, some other spots on special teams, as in, like, Gunner. Uh, there's other stuff because, obviously, in the NFL, you want to be as versatile as possible. You want to be able to play as many positions on special teams, especially coming from a small school to a bigger school. Um you want to be able to do special teams because in the NFL, that's a lot of rookies you start out with when they first get to the NFL is they do a lot of special teams. So I've been working on finding any position on special teams I can do besides just the punt return, key off return as well. You played prep school football at LaSalle College High School. Um, what was that experience like? Uh, it's actually a great, a very great experience, especially in the Philadelphia area. It's the it's, uh, probably the best league well it is the best league in the philadelphia area obviously um i played in uh it was six it was four at the time but now it's um they're six eight now because it's two extra classifications but um it was a great experience um very fun uh we we had a really successful i had a really successful career there my senior year we ended up winning the um pcl championship had a good career um played receiver uh ended up going all catholic db there my senior year so I also played corner as well. Uh, was a return, I was a return specialist for all four years there, and I was on varsity for three years. So I had a good career there, too. I learned a lot of things there. Uh, it actually prepared me well for college since it was 6'8 ball, so it was very competitive. A lot of players 
went on to play Division One. There's a lot of players from my league in the NFL right now. So I learned a lot, played against some great players, learned from some great coaches. So it was a, overall, it was a great experience. What's one receiver you model your game after? Um, so the one receiver I model my game after is Devontae Adams, and not because of, I guess, similar stature and like height and wise. Like, I'm a Packers fan, so obviously watching a lot of Packers games, I try to uh, model my game more recently off, off of him just because, for me, um, a big a big adjustment for me from Division Two to Division One was at going to Division One. Everyone was like, bare, everyone was fast. Not saying Division Two everybody wasn't, but coming from Division Two to Division One, the game the speed of the, of the game was a lot faster. So for me, instead I focused on my speed. But the biggest thing when I went to Division One was focusing on getting like just creating separation. That's something I would say. It's my if not my best attribute, my second best attribute is just getting open. I'm, I'm very good at creating separation and getting open on. Uh, anybody that steps in front of me. So, and that's something that you know, Devontae Adams is, is the best at. So, yeah, Aaron Rodgers just recently said that Devontae Adams is the best player he's played with. That's quite a, that's quite a compliment. Yeah, right. Have you signed an NIL deal yet? I mean, a lot of these players nowadays, um, you know, are able to kind of access some funding. You know, pay pay some bills and stuff like that. Um, I actually didn't sign one. Um, there was some opportunities for me uh, once it when it first started, but just with the NIL rules, um, my eligibility was already coming to an end. So in my opinion, when I sat down with my family and with other people, I didn't see a point in signing one just because it has to end whenever whenever eligibility ends. And once it, and once the NIL, NIL deals came into effect, I was already going into my last few months of eligibility. So. I just figured I would wait until I found the pro contract to start doing stuff with our endorsement deals and stuff. I respect that. I respect that. Is there, is there any change kind of in the rules as far as like when you're a draft prospect, can you do more endorsement deals and stuff like that? I mean, has that changed in the process? Uh, From everything I know, once you become a, once you're not an NCAA athlete anymore, a lot of more things are on the table. You're, You're open to do a lot more things which that's one thing I am excited about ever since uh, finding uh, my deal with, with my agent. Um, I'm able to do a lot more, even though I just started, I just signed a few days ago. Uh, I plan on doing a lot, a lot more things and looking to uh, build, build my brand and just get my name out there more. So I'm excited to start that very soon. Looking at yourself as a player, what are your strengths? Like what are the things we we're going to see on tape that really stand out about you? The first thing I would say is, as I stated before, just get creating separation. Like, if you look at my uh, some of my practice film from SMU, my game film from Shippensburg, one thing I'm really good at is just being able to get open and create separation. That's my biggest attribute. Um, my next thing is catching. Uh, I'm really good at this. If you see on my tape, I, I make every make every catch. I'm real, I have real smooth hands, and um, I just have the ability to be able to make a catch in traffic when I'm getting hit um, in in small windows and that's two big things. Speed as well. Obviously, I still have track speed from high school, so I still know how to run by someone and get open. But I really take pride in um, take, getting open and creating a lot of separation. That's one thing I think that is deceived now in the league where you see some of the top receivers in the league, but obviously besides like the Tyreek Hills and other fast receivers, you see a lot of the best receivers now are the Cooper Cups, Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, the ones that can just know how to get open. 
because no matter how fast you are, you can't get open, you can't create a separation, you can't get the ball in someone's hands. So I believe right now that's my most biggest attribute is I know how to get open on whoever's standing in front of me. I know how to break down the route. I know how to deceive a DB from thinking I'm going here and then going another way. So that's one big thing. Also, uh, strength. Even for me being small, uh, I am 190, so I'm able to block well. I'm able to get open. I'm able to get off the linebackers because being in the slot a lot, I go against a lot of linebackers and safeties, well, outside linebackers and safeties. So those are bigger type defensive backs than backers. So I have to be able to not be able to get bullied around in the middle when I'm in there. So that's another strength I would say I have. And just knowing the game as well. So being a sixth year, I've been in college since 2016 now. And with that first year being a redshirt, I learned a lot from both schools, being around other great players that are going to get drafted. So I've learned a lot in this, especially in this last year, just learning a lot, not playing as much as expected. I learned a lot that I know I can take with my game as far as I go. And uh, what part of your game do you work on the most? Like what, what, uh, um, so for me, the biggest parts of my game I work on, um, I would say even with the strengths, I still work on all of them because, in my opinion, you can always get better at everything. And in the NFL, you, you always need that one elite, uh, elite attribute. So I believe I still can work on getting open. Still can always get fast. I, I believe there's no such thing as being too fast. So still, I still, I do. I've been working on that a lot. Getting faster, getting more explosive. That's my biggest um, thing I've been working on is being explosive. Not not necessarily the top end speed, but more just getting up the top speed is quick, quicker than usual. As you see Tyreek Hill, it takes him one or two steps to get at full speed. So that's what I've been trying to work on recently. So we've talked about your, your separation and strength. What, what, what type of player is an NFL team getting when they draft you or when they take you? Uh, they're going to get a player that will always work hard, will always do whatever is asked. I can play any position that I'm asked of. I'm a quick learner. Um, I'm a player that never gives up, and I'm just a player that he's a, a good person on and off the field. Like, you won't have any problems with me, so you know if you get a player and you get an opportunity to make plays, you will, and you won't have to worry about his off-the-field character as well. So he's an overall good person to be around and uh, in the locker room and on the field. Charles, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Charles, for that interview. It was a fantastic one. And Ed, thank you so much, as always, my friend. I always love hearing some, some college uh, opinions and you know, just kind of hearing how, how they experience college ball themselves. It's, it's always a cool, uh, cool way to look through things. But Ed, why don't we kind of dig deeper onto one of these guys that we've been really interested in and have been following throughout the entire season? Um, and that man is Desmond Ritter. Somebody you and I are both a pretty big fan on, you know, just, just because we were pulling for Cincinnati so hard. And I, I love this kid. He's a tough, he's a tough son of a gun, man. Um, and I, I would love to just dive deeper on this guy and just kind of see what you think of him as, as a prospect. Just kind of get him under the microscope. Um, spill it on me, Ed. What do you think of Desmond Ritter? Well, I think, I think the ball placement's good. Um, he, you know, against Alabama, he wasn't as aggressive. Um, you know, he, he could sometimes get his passes tipped by a tall defensive line. He is 6'4", 215 pounds, so I don't think this is necessarily his his uh, problem. You know, I think he is tall enough to see over the defense. Um, needs better awareness in the pocket. Um, he has a quick and compact throwing motion. Um, he's able to tuck it in and run it as well. Um, I don't think he had great receivers for Cincinnati, 
Um, he can have some very good accuracy in the corner of the end zone. I, I, I actually, you know, accuracy and ball placement is something that I thought was very good in this Alabama game, um, which hasn't been his strength uh, throughout the year. But I actually think this is an area where he's gotten a lot better. Um, but I think, I think, I think, you know, seeing from this Alabama game, and I really, I really zoned in. Uh, he struggles a bit under pressure from an overmatched line. So I'm going to say he's a winner in his career, three-star recruit out of high school. Um, I'm going to say he's like a third-round pick now. You know, after seeing him against Alabama, I'm a little disappointed in his performance against Alabama. You know, I was a, I was a lot higher on him. I thought maybe he was a top, you know, 10, 15 pick. But um, now, I, now I kind of see him as more of a, of a day-two pick. That's fair. That's fair. You know, I, I'm a fan of Ritter. I think he's a, a developmental starter. Um, I think he can get a starting role in this league just because there's a lot of teams that are desperate to find their next guy. And I think Ritter at least has, you know, a lot of in, like stuff that isn't necessarily able to be coached, like just his, fear athletic, his sheer athleticism and um, his ability to, you know, kind of run. Like that's, that's something that's really desired from quarterbacks today. He's got a great frame in that too. Um, and like you said, the dude's a winner. He's including that, um, that playoff loss. He has two losses in the last two years. I mean, that's... That's unbelievable, and for a Power Five team to, you know, have faced a team like Notre Dame and still pull pull that out. I mean, it's it's awesome for him. Um, the dude has proven he just he's a winner. Um, and one thing that you kind of mentioned is his ability to feel pressure um, at times, and it was especially evident in that Bama game where. Um, and and that's kind of what I was saying. It's just that mental thing that Bama just kind of scares the heck out of you, man. But. Um, you know, I would, I honestly would say, I think one of his more underappreciated aspects is his ability to kind of be patient in a pocket that's collapsing. He understands the difference between a pocket that is just decimated and a pocket that is collapsing behind him to where he needs to step up into it. And a lot of guys his age kind of, you know, have that feeling like, and Bryce Young does it a lot. Like they, they'll feel the pressure kind of close in and instead of stepping up, they'll step up into the side and kind of roll out to make a play. Meanwhile, you don't have to do that. If you step in the pocket, you you have time to step in and still make a throw. And that's something that I thought Desmond Ritter was actually pretty pretty good at. He was pretty disciplined with rolling out of the pocket. And, you know, when he needed to, he did. Um, it was very few times, like, throughout the regular season watching film and stuff like that, where he just completely abandoned a pocket when it wasn't time to do it. And I really think that is such an underappreciated aspect in football. Um, and that just says a lot about the confidence you have in yourself. Um, and it's, it's not even in the sense that, you know, oh, he's holding the ball all day, can't get rid of the ball when there's pressure coming. No, he knows when his timer's up and he knows when it's not. So just his ability to decipher what is a, you know, I got to get out of here versus, hey, this is a pocket I could potentially maneuver around. It is a very, very underrated aspect of Desmond Ritter's game, and I think it will be really beneficial to him, especially as a young quarterback. I mean, guys like – I love Baker, but that's a thing that he absolutely still has not figured out, and that might be one of his biggest knocks in the NFL. So if Ritter can you know, hold on to that skill set, I think that he'll have a chance to you know, be a develop, developmental starter in this league. Excuse me. Um, and I just – I, I, I love Ritter, man. I, I agree with you. I don't think he's necessarily, you know, oh my gosh, blow you away with like day one talent. But he just has everything to build on for a quarterback, I think. Um, I, I love him as a day two guy. I honestly can't see him going later than day two. 
and I mean early, early day two. Um, like you said, ball placement and accuracy are some things that I would like to see, you know, be improved. It's not like he's going out there and um, putting the ball in harm's way every single last play, but there has definitely been some times where he has gotten super lucky with some dropped interceptions, some tip balls that just luckily went a different direction than they did. And, um, you know, once you make it to the next level, you're not going to get those lucky drops, those lucky bounces. NFL defensive backs were gonna are going to catch the football, right? Um, it's, it's so... I would love to see his ball placement. Um, and like you said, Bama, that was a, I think that was probably his best ball placement game. Like There was a lot of times where the ball should have been picked off, but he just was able to get it right over the shoulder and put it right in the money. But if you're asking him to go to a team, Ed, in the NFL that wants to throw the ball 35-plus times a game, I don't think he'll be successful. I really don't. I want a run-the-ball team. I want a team that likes the play action. Um... I don't, I don't want him to be a guy that's just going to go out there and sling it every time. You know what I mean? Just because if it, that's a really, really hard problem to fix. I mean, Josh Allen was able to fix his inaccuracy problems in a year. That was the fastest I've ever seen somebody go from wildly inaccurate to incredibly accurate. I don't think Ritter is capable of making that jump. So I want, I mean, a team even like the Panthers, I think they'll go for a guy like Kenny Pickett, but um, they like to run the ball. They like to do their screens and take very few shots. And I think a system like that is perfect for Desmond Ritter. So I have a player comparison, and I, I want you to assess it. Um, what, what, what would you say if I said Desmond Ritter is comparable to Dak Prescott? Hmm. I mean, I, I see the similarities. I, I absolutely do. I mean, uh, guys that are, you know, I might even, I might even go out to say that Desmond Ritter might be a little more athletic than Dak Prescott. Actually, um, I think they're, you know, gameplay wise, they're they're actually pretty similar. I mean, they can move when they need to. You know, it's not their first, not their first uh, decision. And I wouldn't even say either of them have like elite arms. They both have the arm strength to make every throw on the field. Um, not saying that they have like Justin Herbert or Allen arm strength, but they can make throws that all three levels of the field and do it effectively, you know? Um, coming out of college, Dak didn't have that great of receivers either. And you saw when he when he got paired with, you know, the insane receiving core in Dallas, he took off. So uh, actually, I like that comparison, Ed. I, I think Desmond Ritter is, like I said, a little bit more athletic, especially with his legs. Um, but I think Dak might be a little more refined in, um, you know, the mental game even because, like I said, Desmond Ritter at times does put the ball in harm's way, but um, if that's something that he can figure out, Dak Prescott is a very, very accurate comparison. So I, I would say, I would say, like one thing that's different between the two of them is I think, like, I mean, whereas maybe Desmond Ritter's a little more wild, you, you're a little more conservative with Dak, but I mean, Dak is, you know, seven, eight years into the league, whereas like Desmond Ritter isn't, but. Uh, you know, Dak got a, a DUI right before the draft, right? So that made him a third, fourth round pick. Um, someone like Desmond Ritter, who probably won't get a DUI before the draft, um, you know, probably is a little wilder. I mean, if all if if all goes well, I mean, can he have that same career trajectory as Dak Prescott? Maybe he won't get picked in the first round. Maybe he goes to the second round. Maybe he goes to the third round. Maybe he even falls to the fourth. But maybe he he does get that, you know, he starts as a backup, gets that job, wins that job, becomes becomes a quarterback in the league. You know, I I think he, 
I absolutely think he is a guy that can start in this league yet, and even even if it is that route, um, I think a developable, developmental day one starter will be a tough road for him. It will be tough, but I think he's a really smart kid. Um, he's a really hard worker, and he's progressively gotten better every single season of college football. I love to see that. I don't like to see guys hit a peak in their sophomore year and then they just stay there. He has gotten like just like visually obviously better every single year. So um, I absolutely think if he is a guy that has to take that backup role, they're going to see, hey, this guy's one hell of a student of the game. He likes to learn. He likes to improve. You love to see that in young guys. And to, to see that we potentially or likely haven't seen his full potential, maybe not even close, I absolutely think that could be the route and maybe even might be, you know, the better route for him. So you're not necessarily just, you know, throwing him into the fire like, you know, like guys like Zach Wilson and um, Trevor Lawrence are getting. They're not really getting an opportunity to set themselves up for success. They need to be successful off the bat. So honestly, Ed, I might like that for Desmond Ritter. I really might. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this another another way to think of it is like you know you draft him like Jordan Love, right? Like maybe you draft him late first round or uh, something like that, and you keep him as a backup, and then um, you know your your franchise quarterback starts, or you get a bridge quarterback who you could go roll with for a few years, like a Jimmy Garoppolo. You can roll with a you know Jimmy Garoppolo type, and just. You know, I mean, let him, let him learn the game, let him learn the speed of the game, let him learn through preseason and, you know, know the offense. And then, you know, when he's ready to go out there, he can be the guy. No, absolutely, Ed. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I think Ritter is is going to find his success based off his situation. Like I said, I don't think he could go into a team that's going to ask him to throw the ball 35-plus times a game. That's just... I. Don't like that for him. I really, really don't. But if he's with a team that you know gives him the RPO option, read options, screen passes to develop the downfield game, I love that for him. Like I said, a team that runs an offense somewhat maybe like you know like um, Carolina or even even Denver. You know, I I I think Denver's type of offense would be awesome for him. I, I get it's a little bit vanilla. But just to get him to game speed, I would love to see him start in a somewhat vanilla... Although, I hate vanilla offenses in the NFL. I really do. But a guy like him, I could see benefiting from it. But, Ed, why don't we hop over into our next interview? We got another wide receiver. I love my wide receivers. We got um, Colorado University's wide receiver, Montana Luminous Craig. Um, I'm going to let you take over, Ed, and we'll be right back with you. We'd like to welcome Montana Lemonious Craig to the show. Montana, how you doing today? I'm good. Can't complain. What made you choose Colorado when you when you came out of high school? I would say I chose Colorado because it was something different. Growing up in Inglewood, California, the inner city, going to Colorado was a big culture shock for me, and it was a different change of scenery. And that was something I felt like I genuinely needed just to experience in my life. So. Uh, and then, of course, I fell in love with the close-knit, home, home-like feeling that comes along with Boulder being a college town. And then it's ran by a great coach. So, I mean, it was just something that I knew I instantly wanted to be a part of. What makes you hopeful about this offense in 2022? Uh, I've, I've bought in to what called the real breaches to us. 
I feel like we have a strong, close-knit unit of guys. And once we get everybody bought into the program, I think the ball will get rolling pretty quickly and we'll be on track. So, I mean, I'm hopeful in terms of just believing and trusting in Coach Darrell and what he brings to the table. Who is one wide receiver you model your game after? I would say I would try to model my game after Calvin Ridley. I like what he does and how much of a technician he is when it comes to route running and and just the explosiveness that he plays with. Have you gotten to meet LaVisca Chenault, a uh, player, wide receiver room, former wide receiver room guy for uh, um, CU, obviously, and now NFL wide receiver? Me and Levante Chenault, who is LaVisca's little brother, are pretty good friends. So I've met LaVisca a good amount of times, and he he's a wholesome guy. He's a he's a hard worker. He takes care of his business first. So I mean, this is like a big brother to me also. What's the highlight of your Colorado career so far? I would say the highlight of my Colorado career so far is just every time I'm in the locker room with my teammates, uh, pre-game, post-game, regardless of the time, it's just always a good vibe in terms of being with the team. So every time I'm with them before the game is a highlight for me. What other schools were looking at you when you were being recruited? The other schools that were heavily recruiting me consisted of the University of Nevada, the University of Arizona, and I would say Fresno State. Have you signed an NIL deal yet? In terms of NIL deals, I signed with uh, Peckis. Package chicken wings up on the hill and also boss lady pizza up on the hill. Those are the two NIL deals that I involve myself with currently at this time. Some other stuff is in the works in terms of getting stuff in the process, but as right now, those are the two official ones that I have. What is the most you've learned from Coach Carl Durrell? I would say, I mean, of course, he's a great wide receiver coach, and I mean, just he he gives life lessons along with learning the game of football. So I mean, just loyalty is very big for him, and and just having the grit and determination to accomplish your goals. What was the transition like playing in cold weather coming from Englewood? Oh, it was a huge transition for me because coming from the sunny sunshine state of California, I mean, I've never been enough of that cold in my life until I got to Colorado. So I mean, at first it was a bit of a challenge for me. But, I mean, around the time after with practices and everything going along within the season, I tend to – it doesn't phase me at all. It tend to just grow on me in terms of it's just weather. And uh, what's your goal for the 2022 season? The goal for my 2022 season is just make every play that comes my way convert on every opportunity that I get. Montana, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Appreciate you. Awesome. Welcome back. I appreciate you taking the time out to do that interview, Luminous Craig. Uh, Ed, I appreciate you doing the interview as always, my friend. Um, and why don't we get right back into another microscope, Ed? Jordan D- Oh, you're, you're good, brother. Yeah. All right, Ed. So why don't we hop over into our next microscope? And uh, I know we've been talking a lot about players that we really like. And here's another one. Jordan Davis of the Georgia Bulldogs. A man amongst men. I mean, <laughs> this guy is 6'6", 340, 
of pure, I mean, that, that's muscle, dude. That guy is an absolute unit. And I don't know if you've seen videos of him chasing down running backs from behind, but this man can move. I am telling everybody right now, go look up some Jordan Davis highlights because this guy is scary. Ed, what do you think of the monster Jordan Davis? Well, he's definitely a guy who can clog up the middle. Uh, if you want to play him as a nose tackle, you or, you know, or for, I mean, he's so talented. You could also, you know, use him in a four man front, you know, use him in the middle. Um, he's a physical hand fighter. He has heavy hands, um, relies more on his size than athleticism, although he does have athleticism. Um, does need to get off blocks better, but, um, you know, he can, he can almost rush from the edge in the college. Like if you want to put him in that scenario, um, you, you can, you can move him around maybe to like a five tech, um, you know, just for fun, for fun. Uh, you know, in a, in, a, in odd man front, but I mean, you know, he's mostly going to be in the middle. He does well to hold the point of attack in the run game. Um, doesn't need to get all his pad level down. So he's a little bit raw. He's a little bit raw. Um, I would say like, you know, probably when he runs the 40 for DTs, he's probably going to be in that high percentile. I would say he's probably like in the 80th percentile. Uh, he wins all of his one-on-ones. Like you go one-on-one against him. Uh, that guy's going to win. I mean, he's going to win. Um, and he, yeah, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say 100% of the time, but I mean, he's going to win. And the other the other is, uh, and he draws a lot of double teams. You know, he's a guy who draws a lot of double teams, and I, th- I think that kind of carries over to the NFL game. No, absolutely. Like, he, um, like you said, he's still a little bit raw, and I think the one thing that's scaring scouts from this guy is the word potential. I know guys hate the word potential, um, but this guy has shown that, he still has more potential, but still can be, you know, if, if there is no more potential, what he's shown you is elite level run stuffing. I mean, elite level. Like you said, Ed, if you're leaving him one-on-one, you're not going to win. If you're trying to run it between the tackles or the guards and Jordan Davis is there, guess what? He's waiting to consume you for a snack, dude. Um, those little running backs, he, he eats you for breakfast. Like Jordan Davis is a athlete, man. And like you said, he relies solely on his strength most of the time. And um, a lot of times I really hate that from players, guys that just rely on their sheer strength. Because, you know, once you make it to that next level, NFL players are a lot stronger than these college ball players. But Jordan Davis is just a guy that I really can see manhandling a center at the next level. Like seriously, like this dude's just straight up bully centers and pushes them back and they're taking three steps backwards. So, um, I, I don't know if I could see him doing it against top-tier centers in the NFL, but, I mean, some of these smaller guys, I really can see him just out physical or just being able to bully them, like f- physically bully them. Um, I, I do think his, his hand technique could use more work. Um, he's He's got really aggressive hands, but they just they don't seem to be in the right spot. Um, and like I said, he doesn't he hasn't really had to rely on having fantastic technique because he wins so often with his pure strength and like I and like you said he also eats double teams so if you're taking double teams constantly you already won your play you won your play because you're giving other people opportunities for free for like you if you have taken two guys you you've done what you like yeah it would be awesome if you could still make a play after you know having two guys on you but if you can get two like it's it's the Aaron Donald effect and the Miles Garrett effect it's it's such a difference maker in the NFL and if you have a guy that it's, it, I mean, this could potentially, uh, this is really high praise, but this might be your next Indomina Kasu, you know, 
a guy that's just been able to plug the middle for so many years. Not the best pass rusher, but just the big bully in the middle that you never in a million years want to run at. So I, I do I do want to like you know I mean this is this is a prospect that we like for sure I do want to I do want to kind of pull some limitations to his game I mean I think he's more of a in the middle kind of guy um, like I don't think he's going to be like a star pass rusher like uh, no he's he's definitely your run clogger I think he's your run clogger yeah um, you know he only has seven career sacks um, he was a three star recruit out of North Carolina so kind of some question about that I mean obviously Georgia took him but um, you know obviously obviously this is this is a first round pick but this isn't a guy who people are saying like top ten definitely right so there's some reasons for right. That. You know, people are scared about his, like I said, his quote-unquote potential. Um, You know, if I had one really big critique for this guy, it's not that he isn't a great pass rusher because he's not built for that. He's a defensive tackle. He's, you know, he's likely going to be that traditional stuff-the-run defensive tackle, but... um, it's it's almost his his motor. It's like it's not that he's giving up every play, but it's how often you see his overall sheer dominance. Because once you see his his dominance, I mean, he's probably one of the most, if not the most dominant, you know, guy on the on the either side of the line, you know. But it's just about how often he can be that guy is what people are scared about. So if if you can get him to be consistently who he is. Then I see him being, you know, I see him being a very valued starter in the in the NFL. But you know, there's a lot of guys that have all the talent in the world, Ed, but the motor's just not there. And we've seen that that that's enough to ruin an NFL career. But um, I don't I don't want to. I really think Jordan Davis has what it takes. Like you said, he's still a little bit raw, but um, I just there's very few guys with this amount of intangibles. Like the, what Jordan Davis has right now, you just can't coach, Ed. But Ed, let's uh, let's wrap it up on that Jordan Davis talk. Um, you know, I I see him going to a team that really really struggles with stopping the run up the middle. Even a team like Denver really needs to de tackle right now. So if if he falls to that you know eleven or twelve around where Denver's picking, don't don't be surprised if Denver tries to you know clog up that middle because it was really hurting them earlier this year, Ed. But um, why don't we wrap this puppy up? It's been a fantastic show, Ed. I always appreciate you hopping on the show and talking football with me, my man. Yeah, Brendan, it's been great. Yeah, we'll be back next week talking about um, you know playoff standings, and we're we're gonna see what the playoffs look like next week. So this is this isn't a really this is a really exciting week eighteen. Very weird to say that one, but um, this this is gonna be crazy, Ed. It's not gonna be anything like you and I expected at the beginning of the season. But hey, I'm always for surprises, even if it means it's not the Browns. But um, we'll we'll be back at it next week. And I wanted to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Blitzcast, and y'all take care. <laughs>